Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 60 of our 120-day Upper Room Prayer Campaign. And today we're going to pray for a heart that is willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, Paul says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This passage always pricks my heart because it brings to light a very real and simple truth that Jesus died for us, that Jesus gave his life for us, that we might be willing to give ours. For him, it is a divine exchange. He died that we might live, and in exchange, we lay down our lives, we lay down our pride, we lay down our will, that his might come alive through us. He took on our curse that we might take on his righteousness. He paid the price of our penalty with his very life. And for this, Paul says, that we ought be willing to sacrifice, to continue his work in this earth, and that it is our reasonable service. In other words, It's the least we can do. My friend, we ought to truly love him, to serve him, to appreciate him, and not simply to desire to use him, that we might escape hell and get into heaven or receive some kind of earthly blessing. We ought to appreciate him and love him enough in thanks and adoration to be willing to step out of selfishness, comfort, and pride lay down our life, pick up that cross, and follow after him, that he might continue the work of the kingdom through us as he moves us to walk in his character, calling, and ministry to prove to the world through us Christ's divinity and that his spirit still lives, moves, and breathes through you and me. In other words, we need to be the hands and feet of Christ in this earth. We need to reflect him. We need to be like him. When people see us, they should not see us, but they should see him through us. And my friend, that will happen when you walk in perfect love, which is sacrifice. Paul says here that he beseeches us that we might present ourselves a living sacrifice, that we may be holy, holy meaning set apart unto the master's use, acceptable unto God, walking in right standing with him, that this is our reasonable service. And he continues to say that we be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My friend, when you are willing to be all in, to just say, Lord, I accept your commission. I will pick up my cross and follow after you. And I am doing it because I love you and because I love souls and because I want to bring them into the kingdom. And it's not about what I can get out of it. It's not about earthly gain. It's not about fame. It's not about vainglory. It's not about my story. It's about telling somebody else's yours and proving the present tense power of it in this earth that they might hope for the reward of it in the glory to come. He says, don't be transformed by this world. Don't be changed to be more like this world, to set your eyes on this world. Don't believe the lies of this world that set your eyes on the prizes of this world. He says, but allow yourself to be transformed by the changing of your mind, that you might have a new thought process, a new perspective, a new focus, a new destination, that your heart might be set on eternity, that all your eyes see are what you're reaching for, not where you are right now, that you might see past your present situation and the sacrifices of it for the hope of what you're reaching for, the promise to come, because this is what true faith is. Faith is the promise of things hoped for, not yet seen, but that you have heard. He's given you a word and you have chosen to believe and when you do these things you will prove what is the perfect will of God because when we surrender and submit ourselves perfectly to his will it's going to cost something it's going to cost our will we have to be willing to sacrifice what we think what we want what we desire we've got to be willing to lay down things and say Lord your will be done I trust in your plan, even if it takes me through Gethsemane. I know that there is a promise on the other end of it that is better than anything I could ever hope to bring out of my understanding. So though I don't understand, I don't need to. I just need to trust and obey. Because my friend, I tell you that the word of God says that obedience is better than sacrifice. But I have to give you the truth today. Many times obedience is sacrifice. At least it seems that way to us in the moment because we've got to lay some things down to walk his will out. But I do give you the assurity that in the long run, in the end, if you run the race to win, it's not a sacrifice because we will never lay anything down in this life that he will not give back better and more abundantly and also in the life to come. This is what he told Peter, but he gave it to him with truth that he might not be discouraged or offended. He said it will come mixed with persecution, trial and tribulation. But I assure you, Peter, he said that no man who has given up home or property or relationship or family or finance or business or anything in this life that God will not give back more. He will reward sacrifice. Both in this life and in the one to come. So Paul tells us to be willing to sacrifice, to walk out God's will, that we might be the testimony, the example, that people see his will fulfilled in us and the glory of it. People might begin to know how perfect 
his will is. You see, my friend, the reason so few people are willing to be all in is that they don't have a witness of it in their lifetime. They've not seen it with their own eyes. So I'm asking today for someone who will say, Lord, let it be me. I am willing to give up my life, to lay down what I think should be done, how I think it needs to happen. The plans that I have made for my life, I lay it all down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not my will, but your will be done. I will choose to walk out your will and sacrifice that on the other end of it, you might bring me through to that place of Pentecost where the power is poured out because that I was willing to count everything in this life lost, that I might obtain Christ, that others might see and believe how perfect your will is for each of us. If we would just trust you and walk through faithfully until your glory is revealed in us. Because what many a church today has forgotten is that the altar, the cross, is not a place of glory. It's a place of sacrifice. But if by faith we are willing to sacrifice, then by grace have you promised to bring the promises that you have given us to life on the other end of it. Be faithful in the wilderness, my friend, for if you are, you will come out of it in the strength of the Spirit of the Lord. It's not easy. It's not pleasing to your flesh, but it is worth it. And there is a desperate need for a people who are willing to let the Spirit lead them at all costs. To pick up the cross and be willing to be a living sacrifice. Because you see, my friend, Jesus makes us by the washing of his blood, priests and kings in the kingdom. But the priest's function is to sacrifice. In fact, it says in the New Testament that as New Testament priests, we are still required to offer spiritual sacrifices. And of course, we could go through this in a lesson about our spiritual sacrifices listed in the New Testament, sacrifices of praise. And you might say, well, praise isn't a sacrifice, my friend. If you don't think praise is a sacrifice, then it means you've only praised him when you felt like it, when you wanted to. Because in those moments of hardship, of desperation, of grieving, of brokenness, of hopelessness, praise becomes a sacrifice. We are required to give sacrifices of prayer and fasting and obedience and love. Because again, love is sacrificial. Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you. Bless those who despitefully use you. My friend, that is sacrificial. If we are truly Christian, which means to be like Christ, we need to learn how to represent him with our life. We've got to be a living sacrifice. We've got to lay down our pride, our grudges, our offenses, our comfort that we might bring a soul in to the kingdom. Paul continues by saying, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man, the measure of faith. Everyone is given a certain measure of faith and it's up to each individual what they're going to do with that measure of faith. The more you exercise your 
faith, the more it grows. Every person is born with a certain level of strength, but some people become bodybuilders and some people do not. It depends on what you do, how much you exercise the measure of faith that you have been given that it might grow. But I tell you, my friend, that anyone who's ever been in a gym can tell you that the quickest way to exercise something that it might become stronger is with resistance training to cause resistance to come against that muscle that it might be strengthened more. So I encourage you as even Christ did that resistance will rise up against you. But if If you are willing to withstand the resistance, it will strengthen your faith in the end. Be willing to sacrifice your pride and continue to abide because there's a reason for the trial. The only way we can hope to ever be part of great victories is if we first face great enemies. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whereby we prophesy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. He's reminding us again that we all work together. No one is more important than the other, and we need not try to attain to a higher place. We ought not to envy men or stages but to thank God for each person's gifting faith or grace but be encouraged and inspired by it and work together he says those that prophesy let them prophesy according to their portion of faith or minister let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation he that giveth let him do it with simplicity he that ruleth let it be with diligence he that showeth mercy let it be with cheerfulness let love be without dissimulation abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good yes my friend we are to disapprove of that which is disapproved of by god And we are to cling to that which is good in his sight. We must stand firmly against sin, but we must do it with a heart of brokenness, willing to sacrifice with our very lives that they might be brought in to the kingdom. Because this is the mission. This is the commission. This is the whole reason the Holy Spirit was given, that we might be empowered and strengthened to be made a witness, a witness of Jesus Christ. He says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And my friend, if you want to get there, you must stay instant in prayer prayer. I think any prayerful person lives a sacrificial life and any sacrificial life is evidence of a prayerful person because it is in that place of prayer that God will give you the instructions that will step you out of your comfort zone and lead you by the spirit into a wilderness. And it is in that place of prayer that you will be strengthened as Christ was even in the garden of Gethsemane to withstand the sacrifice that is required to get you through to the victory. I'm just going to bear my soul to you a little bit today, give you a little bit of my testimony, because these are things that I think the church needs to hear. 
Paul said that I do not boast in blessings, but I boast in my infirmity that the Lord might be glorified and that men might be encouraged when they face trials. You know, Paul said whenever he was boasting in his infirmities and his trials and his shipwrecks and his pains and his persecutions and that he had had to be content both both in hunger and in plenty and and he laid all of these things out so that people might know the true cost of the anointing he concluded with this he said that if anyone had any reason to boast in the earthly things the physical things then he would be one because he had great degrees and great education and great pomp and position in earthly things but he threw it all away he said i counted it all as lost and all that i want to brag on you today about is the hardships that god brought me through to prove that he can do what no man can do he said as for all of those things of the world the material things the pomp and the pride the position and the prosperities he said i count it all as dung everything that i've given up home job position finance reputation all of it, I count it all as dung that I might obtain Christ because my friend Jesus said there's a price and he said that price is sacrifice. It is everything. We've got to be willing to throw it all in that we might win one soul for Christ. But I'm telling you that it is not grievous. In the end, you will look back on it and it will be the greatest memories that you have ever created. Because when you've come to that place when you can really count everything this world has to offer as dung, then everything is not such a high price to pay after all. Paul said, I will tell you of all of the hardships that I have endured in order to stand fast in the faith that I have in my Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you now that you not be offended that persecutions, trials, and hardships will come. In fact, he said that all who will live godly will suffer persecution. So I say it often because I want people to understand that the only people who will never come face to face with the enemy are those who are already at his side because we are running a race. And if we are running against the enemy, we are going to end up face to face that God might overcome him by the power of his grace and the enemy be put in his place. But if you've never come face to face with the enemy, then you need to ask yourself, maybe it's because he's running with me. True Christianity is not easy. Jesus said that it is a narrow road. It is a hard road. But the destination is worth every trial, every tribulation, and every temptation that you overcome brings greater patience and manifestations of perfect love. And my friend, that's what it's all about. That's how we show the world the true power of our Christ, that he has transformed our life, that we might be able to shine forth his light and be salt in the earth, that when trials and hardships come against us and people hate us and despise us, that we can still shine the light in the darkness, that we might show forth that uncommon love that the world needs to see, something that people might look at and say there's something different about them. They're willing to risk all that they might bring the truth to me. They speak so boldly. They must have been. They have such confidence they must have been with Jesus. You see, my friend, there comes a point in a believer's life where Jesus will come to you and he will bid you come and follow. But when he bids you come and follow, he also bids you come and die. You've got to be willing to live a sacrificed life. In my life, there came a point at which 
he asked me, are you all in? Will you come and follow me? And I said, yes, Lord. And so he gave me a promise and then he gave me a word. He gave me a vision and I thought this thing was going to be so easy. I was going to just step into it maybe two weeks and it would be done. But it seldom happens that way. He told me what to do. That was it. One step. And if he had told me the entirety of what he was going to take me through, I would have never taken that first step. So in his wisdom, sometimes he hides things from you. But he said, go. He sent me to Baton Rouge. And so I was obedient. I went. My friend, even before this, I had already had to sacrifice much to be obedient to my Christ. I had to give up relationships, very close and personal and heartfelt relationships. I had to give up homes. Really, at this point, I had already given up pretty much everything. I was expecting a quick victory because there wasn't much else that I could offer him, but he was waiting for me to give up everything so that I could finally offer him the one thing that he really was waiting for, and that was me. And so when I went, the things that he told me began to happen and manifest immediately, and I was so excited this was going to be so easy, and then immediately it began to fall apart. The enemy began to rise against me, which in actuality kind of encouraged me because of all the confirmations God had sent me. None proved the validity of what God wanted of me more than when the enemy rose up against me for it. So friend, be encouraged when the attacks stir up against you because there is no greater endorsement under heaven than to be hated by hell. And I just have to lay down some reality for you today because I want people who are willing to go out and do the real work of the kingdom, to preach the gospel, to manifest the acts of the book of Acts, to see the things that I have seen and even greater things than these because you are willing to live sacrificially because it's going to take sacrifice because the power of God always comes at a price or else Jesus would not have said count the cost before you pick up that cross. Because I will have no pleasure in those who compromise or draw back. It's not going to be easy. But if you believe me and follow me and trust me, I'll get you through that Gethsemane to the victory. And it will be worth it in the end. And so I pressed on and pressed in. Of course, every battle I thought, well, this is the end and it's going to be victory now. And then it ended up in the end taking many years before I saw the promise come to fruition but my friend he is faithful because it became more and more and more impossible every single day but I never let my faith waver and he did so many miracles during that time let me tell you my friend it was not easy but it was worth it I didn't know every step I just knew each step as he gave me the step I obeyed it and he met me there and he supplied my needs it was difficult and every time it looked like the enemy had gotten a victory, he stepped in to reorder my steps and to prove himself to me. I slept from place to place. He would bring people into my life that would just offer and it would always put me at the right place at the right time to be used by him to see his glory manifested, to move me into ministry, to prove me to those who he was trying to use me to reach. He did so many miracles. He touched so many lives. He opened so many spiritually blinded eyes during that time and still does because of the lessons that I learned there. I was able to have faith for every time this process was repeated in later seasons. And I don't tell you these things to be boastful. I'm not boasting that I have a jet or of million dollar collections. 
Paul said to boast in your infirmities, in the hardships that you have endured to be willing to do the work of the Lord. And I can tell you that I went years without income because that I never charged for any of my ministry, but the Lord always provided. And I can say that I've been ministering since I was 15 years old, which is over 20 years. And I have never been paid for ministry except for once, one time, I was given $150 for preaching a sermon. I didn't ask for it. It was offered. And I have sacrificed in many ways, time, effort, and energy not being the least of it every day, probably 14 hours a day on average, towards ministry. And I have never received financial compensation for it, nor have I ever sought it. But the Lord has always provided because I'm storing up riches in heaven where they really count. And one soul saved is worth every bit of energy, effort, or resources that I have to pour out. And the lessons learned are invaluable and I wouldn't trade them for anything because he always got me to where I needed to be and I never had to beg for bread in the waiting. I had to fast a lot, but I didn't die. He kept me alive. I may never have had more than I needed, but I've also never had less than I needed because I had Jesus and he's all I need. You know, when the scripture says that God will supply all your need through Christ Jesus, I want you to recognize there that the word need in the original text is actually singular need, not needs, all your need because he is all you need. And if you have him, you will always have all you need. He will supply your need, which is himself. So just follow his lead and he will never lead you astray. Learn to seek, listen, trust, and obey. Learn to follow orders and learn to trust him to supply your needs, your tools, your resources, and the power to get the job done. If he commissioned you to it, he will give you the resources to do it. If you have to make it happen, something's not right. Lay down your pride, give him your life, and watch him do what you never thought possible. That your faith might be strengthened so you can rightly represent and present the true gospel. There were many times when I had to sleep in my car in strange places just to be obedient to the voice of the Lord because he was leading me somewhere to minister somewhere or to reach someone or to deliver a word or to perform some work. And all I could do was trust and obey when he said, go to this place. And as I did every step of the way, he brought me the next piece, but he didn't do it until first I was obedient to the first thing that he had spoken. And I think that many times the reason that people don't go very far is, is because that they're waiting for him to lay out the full plan but they've got to be willing to be obedient to him when he gives that first step because until you obey the first thing he had to say he's not going to say anything more he's waiting for you to be faithful in the little just do what he tells you to do even if it doesn't make sense to you when he says go just go when you get there he'll make you to know what is the next thing that you need to do and in doing so he will prove himself to you that your faith might be strengthened and the lies of the enemy weakened. This is the wilderness that he's got to lead you through before he can trust you to go into promise and possess it. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Paul was telling Timothy here that true soldiers are not concerned with the everyday things of this life, with materialism, 
with their career, with their property, with their personal prosperity. They're concerned with pleasing the one who chose them to be a soldier and they will go and they will lie in the gutters if they have to in order to accomplish the mission. They will sacrifice meals. They will sacrifice home and family and attention. They will sacrifice their comfort to accomplish the mission. And this is the mindset that Paul is saying that those who have truly been commissioned must walk in. During this time, I fasted very often. I still do because of the lessons that I learned and the power of fasting that was proven to me in this time. I fasted continually. Of course, I most of the time had no money. So some of that was by obedience and much of it was by necessity. There were many times for most of it probably that I may have eaten twice a week. But you know what? The Lord supplies all my needs because I had strength. I had energy. I did what I needed to do to deliver the word, to preach the gospel, to be where he wanted me to be. And I saw his glory and his majesty because of it. This is the real gospel of Jesus Christ. Not waiting for the world to supply all of our needs so that we can purchase a counterfeit of the glory, but stepping out in faith with nothing and trusting that the power of his grace can turn it into something amazing. There's nowhere in scripture where Jesus bid anyone come and get rich. He bid them come and die. He never bid men come and be famous. He bid them to come and be hated and reviled for his name's sake. And I can tell you, my friend, that I have lived this. It is a sacrifice. I've faced such great opposition and heartache beyond anything that I can tell you in a sermon for time's sake and for forgiveness sake. Yet God moved so mightily in those times of total abandonment and dependency that I wouldn't trade them for anything. This is the real gospel. I'm trying to be a witness to you today of the validity of what Jesus had to say. That if you are willing to sacrifice, give your life and just obey, you will see the greater things manifested every day. The problem is, is that we too often trust in Saul's armor. Instead of trusting in the provision that he's given, like David did. Because if David would have taken Saul's armor and walked out on that battlefield, Saul was probably the only man in all of Israel that had armor. And if people would have seen that armor walk out there, they would have thought it was Saul. And Saul would have gotten the glory for what the Lord wanted to do. David did the right thing. He walked out there with nothing but his stone and his sling. What the Lord had given him, had put in his hand, had sent him out with. So that only God would get glory for it in the end. And because of it, God moved for him. He was willing to endorse him because it glorified him. My friend, will you be all in? Are you willing to trust him? Even if it means you've got to put down Saul's armor to do it. And you know, much of the opposition and heartache and attacks and slanders and people that came so hard against me and fought me and attacked me, many of them eventually came to thank me. Because that's the power of sacrificial love. If you are willing to obey, to step out in faith, to take the attacks, but still stand in grace and only love back, to speak the truth, but do it in love, in brokenness, and stand faithful on the word of God, he will move to prove you in the end. And that is the only thing, my friend, that will break the pride in the heart of the prideful, bring them to humility which will lead them to repentance. This is how the real gospel is spread. When we allow ourselves to be spirit-led, 
and walk in the example of Jesus Christ being a demonstration of his life that others might see and believe. They need you to demonstrate what you preach. Now, of course, while I was going through these hardships, I definitely wanted to get out of them. But once I was out of them, I was so grateful for having gone through them because total dependency is total faith. So much so that it brought me to a point where now I love to set God up to get the most glory by making things as impossible as possible. Knowing that the more dependent I am on him, the more I can depend on him to step in. Because in my weakness is his strength perfected or perfectly manifested. When he makes something out of nothing, when he does what everyone thought could not be done, my friend, there is no greater joy. There is no greater strength. There is no greater peace. There is no greater rejoicing than when you stand on the other end of Gethsemane and praise him from the victory. When God gives us a promise and we begin to speak it out in faith, then he's going to let the enemy kill it just so he can let everyone see him raise it. Because in this is the people's faith in the enemy defeated and the unbelieving made ashamed that they might humble themselves, decide to put their faith in him and glorify his name. Can he use you to do it? Because he will, but it's going to take some sacrifice to get you through to it. But as he does, he's going to open your eyes to things that you never realized. And he's going to make the spiritual world come alive to you so alive that you'll never doubt it again. And you will have faith to walk in it. And you will never be tempted to depend on the things of the enemy or this world or the mammon of man or Herod or the Pharisees. My friend, you will trust in your king because your eyes will be opened and you will be able to see the real power and glory that he is willing to offer those who truly believe. I love the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 when the king of Assyria sends an entire army after Elisha. What a compliment, right? Elisha was doing such a work for the kingdom and cutting off the works of the enemies to such a high degree that the king of Assyria actually sent an entire army after him. My friend, you step out in this kind of obedience and all of hell is going to rise up against you. But in the process, if you praise, believe, and wait, the Lord will deliver you and prove his power through you. Because as this entire army comes against him, Elisha's servant becomes very worried and begins to question Elisha. And Elisha's like, why? Why are you worried? And Elijah was not worried at all. Why do you think that Elijah was not worried? Because he had already been through many impossible battles before and seen his impossibly powerful God do impossible things so that his eyes had already been opened to how real the spiritual world really was, perhaps more real than the physical one, because that in times past when things had proved impossible in the physical, God proved that they were still possible in the spiritual. In verse 14, it reads, Therefore sent he, the Assyrian king, for tithered horses and chariots and great hosts, that they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. And this is the words of a man whose eyes have been opened to realize that the power of our God is stronger than anything the enemy can do 
that our faith ought be in him so that it can be proved. This is the words of a man whose eyes have been opened to the truth. How real the spiritual world is all around you and how faithful our God is to supply whatever is needed to accomplish the mission of which he has sent you to do, even if you have no earthly or physical means to do it. Because Elijah replies, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire round about Elijah. Praise God. In this situation, when they stood with nothing, with no resources, with no physical ability to accomplish the mission for which God had commissioned and positioned them, was this new minister's eyes opened because that he saw what Elijah saw because of the things that Elijah had endured in times past because he was willing to sacrifice, to risk his life, to step out in faith and go where God told him to go and do what God told him to do and say what God told him to say even though he didn't have the resources or the backing by any earthly means to do it. Elijah had come to have faith. His eyes had been opened to the realization that God had more resources, more power and more ability to accomplish what he had sent him to do than the enemy had resources to stop it. And in this did he pray that God would open this new minister's eyes to it by walking him through it and he did. God give us faith. You know I often think of the lame man in the book of Acts when the disciples came to him and he was sitting at the temple begging for alms and he asked the disciples for alms and the disciples told him silver and gold have I not but that which I have I give unto you rise up and walk. Because if you read that it says that for many years and it gives you the time frame he had been there at the temple begging for alms. Which if you think about it, considering the time frame that this happened, it would mean that that man lived in the time of Christ. At the time that Christ was going around healing people, many times even at the temple, this man stayed lame. The miracle worker passed by him many times and he didn't get his miracle. How many times did he ask God, why not? Why me? Why am I going through this season? Why when I see God moving through so many others he didn't know that there was a reason. His miracle had a timing. It had a purpose. His miracle was being saved because when that miracle took place, it sparked a revival that manifested the outpouring of grace. God needed that miracle to validate the message that the apostles were going to preach. Because you see, my friend, miracles, they come for two reasons. One, out of compassion. Many times it says that the Lord was moved by compassion and then he healed. God loves us. He is compassionate. And sometimes we just cry out to him and he hears us and he feels our heart and he is moved with compassion and he heals. But many times in scripture, miracles, Miracles were preserved for the purpose of validating the message. The miracles come to validate the message. Get the message right and the miracles will follow. Be obedient to the voice of the Lord and the leading. And when he positions you, he will cause things to happen to you and around you and through you that will validate you so that he can accomplish his mission. Because it's not about you. It's about the message. It's about Jesus Christ. 
It's about the truth. It's about setting men's souls free and granting them eternal life. And God will move to prove it if you are walking in right standing and that he can trust to validate it through you. And he knows that he can through those who are willing to live selfless, sacrificial lives. This is why we see throughout history such great stories of those who were used so mightily by God. They were always from the least of these, those willing to be all in, like Catherine Kuhlman, who was used mightily by God to lead the greatest healing ministry the world has ever known. But yet she started as a 16-year-old girl who had gotten saved and all she knew was salvation. So she went out desperate to preach salvation. And she found this church that had been shut down because they had no pastor. And she begged them to let her preach the word of God. And at first they said no, but she told them, what do you have to lose? It's already closed. You have no pastor. Maybe you might gain a few souls through it. And so they opened the door and let her preach. She had nowhere to stay. So a woman offered her her turkey house. Those of you in the South, you may recognize it a little bit more if I called it a chicken coop. She lived in a chicken coop, but for turkeys, so that she could preach the gospel to this town. It was the only place she had to lay her head down, but she was willing to do it and to sleep in haystacks to get the word of God out. The late great Leonard Ravenhill gathered a group of men and they prayed and they set out on foot. Don't tell me you don't have the resources just because you don't have a stage or a pulpit. They did what I did. They just started walking and the Lord started moving. And they walked throughout England, ministering in the streets and setting up tents and camping out under the stars and doing whatever they needed to do to be obedient to the voice of the Lord. They went. They had no money. They just obeyed the voice and he supplied their needs. Did they have fame and prosperity? No, God did provide in later times. And I have to boast a little bit on the humility of the validity of their lives that they truly had the heart of Christ. Because Leonard Ravenhill, even in later years, when God began to pour out the blessings on him for his faithfulness in those early seasons, and he did begin to receive finances, he never lived extravagantly. He spent it all back into the ministry the way that it is supposed to be. My friend, the word minister means to be a servant and a true minister of the Lord. They are not concerned with what God can do for them. They are concerned with what they can do for God. A heart of love drives this willingness to obey. This is why Jesus said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will do what I say and it will not be grievous unto you. If you are willing to trust him and obey and just step out, and I say this today because there are many people out there that have a fire and a love for the Lord, but they've been sold this image that they've got to have this big fancy building and they've got to have buses and jets and they've got to have all of this sound equipment and they've got to have a nice website. And, And while those things are not wrong because God can use them to spread the gospel in the earth, you don't need them to do what he's called you to do. Get on your face before the Lord. Seek him. Let him tell you where to go and step out in faith and he will meet you there with grace, with power, with favor, and with his divine influence to see his will and work done in this earth. I promise you. You may not get the big picture. You may not get a million dollar check, but he will give you what you need to meet your need each day. Just like the manna that fell in the wilderness, they got just enough to make it through each day. 
Just like the raven that fed Elisha by the brook Cherith, it brought him meat, it brought him what he needed, but it was just enough to get him through each day. Like the woman with the barrel of meal that Elisha had to stay with, the Lord supernaturally supplied her with meal and with oil. And maybe it wasn't grandeur or excess or the riches of this world that turned men's heart away from eternity and fighting for souls, but it was enough to get them through each day. His grace is enough. It will supply you with enough. It's about trust. It's about contentment, which is faith. Not riches, not excess, not selfishness, but just enough. He'll give you what you need to remain obedient, to stay in position, to complete the mission until he comes with deliverance. God has always supplied just enough because I tell you, my friend, that even after these times when God moved us here and put us in ministry where we are now, he put us in a location that is very pure and very faithful and we're doing the work of the Lord, but it's very poor and they really cannot afford to support ministers and we still do the work of the Lord and, and we are not financially sustained by the ministry here but the enemy he came he offered big churches in big cities with big salaries and nice homes and when we sought the Lord the Lord said no it's a sacrifice but I know there is a reason there is a positioning there is a purpose there is a thing that the Lord is doing and I'm trusting him for the victory he's going to get us through this new Gethsemane and we've never regretted it. Though we've had to give up nice homes to live very, very humbly. Though we've had to give up prosperity to continue to labor very intently. Though we've had to endure the snickering and slander and laughter of the unbelieving to continue to walk in obedience to God's leading. I'm telling you, my friend, that it is worth it in the end. And I wouldn't trade it for anything because there is so much that he will teach you through it. He will open your eyes so that you will come to a place where your dependency is totally on him. And you've seen him move so mightily over and over and over again. Don't despise the place of small beginnings. Many people miss their destiny because they won't humble themselves and bend the knee to the place of small beginnings. And God will never make them ruler over greater things because that they esteemed the things of this world more than they did the things of eternity. God has always given us enough. Not riches, not excess, not selfishness, but just enough. He'll give you what you need to remain obedient, to stay in position, to complete the mission until he comes with deliverance. Because there is always a finale, a crossing over, a miracle, a revival. Whether it's personal, corporate, or national, it all depends on what your promise is. But if you're willing to pay the price, if you're willing to sacrifice, to drink from the cup, and to bear the burden of Gethsemane in love, he will be faithful to bring it back to life and to get himself glory doing it. Let each heart say, all of me, Lord. My time, my energy, my finances, my reputation, my comfort, my will, my last breath, my very life. All of me for your glory. It's not much, but I give it all. Make something out of my nothing that all may know that you are God alone. 
and that nothing is too hard for you. God, we pray today that you release provision, but that you do it by your own hand, by your righteousness, that you would get glory for what you're going to do in this land and not Saul. Lord, we lay down his armor and we walk out with what you have given us and that's all. And we trust that by your grace, by your power, giants are going to fall. And you're going to use us to do it. We give you praise for it. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Not because of what we have or what we've made, but because of what you have created and what you have commissioned. And because that there are men and women who have been faithful to say yes, Lord, and obey and get into position for the greater things. We will give you glory because it is not by us. It is not by mammon. It is not by the works of the land or man. It is by your spirit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit and we will give you all glory. God, you do it. It's your story. We just ask that we might be servants in it and we praise you for the provision that because we are willing to sacrifice, that we might obey, then you are willing to open up the floodgates to send provision, to do what it is that you say. And it may not be excess. It may not be grandeur, but it will be enough. You will supply our need and you will do it day by day by day that we continue to move in faith and not stray because the reason you didn't give the Israelites a whole bunch of manna was because they would have collected it up and then walked out in their own leading but because they had to come back to you every single day and depend on you to provide that out in that supernatural way it caused them to have to follow you to depend on you to seek you to keep praying Lord, I thank you that you have taught me how to pray and that you have opened my eyes to realize the power of the kingdom, that there truly is more fighting for us than what is coming against us. Lord, I believe it. I see it. And I pray today, as Elijah prayed, that others' eyes might be opened, that they might come to realize and that they would be willing to walk out in that provision day by day by day and that you will move to do what you have called them to they don't have to wait for that bible college degree because jesus in the time that you came in this earth there were those who were taught in schools and colleges but you didn't get not one single disciple from it and i'm not against colleges but i'm telling you my friend that if you will trust his provision if you will get alone with him he will show you the truth you need not be taught by men. You need to get shut in with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Get to know him and learn to depend on him. Or you'll never go any farther than, than the works of your own hand can bring you. And my friend, that is not enough for me. That is not enough for this generation. That is not enough to bring him glory. God, we need your spirit to lead. I trust you and I will follow you even if it takes me through Gethsemane. God, I trust you today as we pray for you to release finances where they are needed. Not for men's glory, but for the work of your kingdom. 
God, we pray to you today in faith for you to release the right people. That widow woman and her son, though it was so unlikely that you would use her to supply the need of Elisha to position him for the next mission. Lord, I pray that you release the people, the unlikely, the right ones in the right places at the right time that we might be in position for what it is that you have commissioned us to do. God, we trust you and we follow you. And maybe it's not the person of high degree. Maybe it's not the one that everyone sees. Maybe it's not the one who brings us notoriety or glory. But Lord, if it's the right one, we receive it and we thank you for it. Send us the people that no one else esteems, but that know you personally, that we might honor you rightly. God, whatever it is that we need and that everyone under the sound of my voice needs to walk in obedience to complete the mission, I pray that you release it right now because we are willing to walk out in it even though it might cost us something, though it might be uncomfortable, though people might laugh and ridicule in the process. In the end, they will see you come through and they will bend the knee to you. You know, I'm reminded of a story that Smith Wigglesworth's great-granddaughter told. She's a minister now. And she had a team go into a hospital in Africa somewhere. And they, they prayed for everyone in the hospital. They went bed to bed and they asked, can we pray for you? And of course, everyone said yes. They were desperate. They were in need. And so they prayed for them, except for one man. When they came to him, he said, no, 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 I don't want you to pray for me. So they didn't pray for him. They prayed for everyone else. Well, a few days later, they came back to the hospital to check on the people and pray again. And when they walked in, every bed was empty except for that one man. And when they did, that one man called them over so excited. And he said, y'all are the ones that came and prayed. Please, please, please come pray for me. Every other person that y'all prayed for was healed and they've all gone home. Would you please pray for me? You see, my friend, just walk out in faith. And let him prove you and love and compassion and obedience and let him provide the provision that will prove you. And in doing so, those who once rejected and laughed and ridiculed and mocked will see the power of God through you and be humbled to trust you for the message that God is really sending you to deliver. That God is real. He is present. He is faithful. And he is able if you truly believe. God, I pray that you bring people to understand today that no sacrifice goes unrewarded, that we have to be willing to walk out in this earth, live humbly and sacrificially. We've got to be willing to give up that career if you never called us to it. We've got to be willing to give up that relationship if it's not been ordained by your hand and it's only drawing us away from your perfect plan. We've got to be willing to give up that land and that home, to be obedient, to go where you want us to go. We've got to be willing to fast and to spend the time in prayer and in the word that we might hear from you and move in faith for what you've told us to do. We've got to be willing to take the ridicule and the rejection that's going to come like it did to little David, even from those of his own household, from his own congregation, to walk out in faith and believe that my God is able to do great and mighty things and he is able to do it through me. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And when I doubt what can be done through me, I am doubting him. 
because it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So I choose to believe in his power, in his strength, in his ability to complete the mission that he commissioned. If he is sending, he will make a way where there is no way. My friend, we've got to learn to lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways. Seek him, acknowledge him, and he will order our steps. Lord, send us to the right place at the right time. We are willing to be a living sacrifice that your glory might be made manifest in this earth to the fullest. God, I want to make things as impossible as possible just so I can have a better testimony on the other end of it. So Lord, let us be willing to stand no matter what comes against us because what you want to do, I don't want to see any man taking glory for. But I want the whole world to be talking about what was done by the hand of the Lord because that it cannot be explained any other way. God, I pray that you release confidence today. Open the eyes. Open people's eyes right now to see that all of heaven is with us. Therefore, what can stand against us. I think it's easy to see when all of hell is against us, but it's not always so easy to see that all of heaven is with us. Because if we see the big picture, the enemy seems so small. You see the Israelite army? They saw Goliath. Ooh, that was a big enemy. But little David, he saw his God. Ooh, my God is bigger. And the enemy, he's not so scary. He's not so big. When I'm used to seeing my big God. Where are your eyes set? Where is your focus? God, cause our focus to be on you and on eternity. Because when we do, we will have faith that you will bring us through. Our eyes are not on the enemy. Our eyes is on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. And there is nothing too hard for him. So I am willing to be all in and be a living sacrifice that my life might be used to bring him glory and to prove that he is still present and powerful and that there is nothing that he cannot do. Can he do it through you too? Are you willing, no matter the cost, for the sake of the lost, pick up your cross and show the world Christ with your life? Because that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.